today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. We could try to explain it while they were distracted by things, but the thing is, I believe the disciples had other plans in mind. They were totally separate from the plans and the purpose of God. You see, they had yet to fully surrender their plans. They had surrendered their lives to the Lord, but not their plans. And beloved, this is the beginning of a very dangerous position for the child of God. And way too many believers today surrender our life and our eternity to Him, but not our plans. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that the disciples had their own ideas and thoughts about why Jesus came. The men believed that the Lord would overthrow Rome and set up His earthly kingdom, even when Christ told them He would be betrayed and suffer. They never truly heard Him. Pastor David points out that we too can ignore the Lord's voice in favor of our own ideas and plans. When we ignore His voice in favor of our own will, we are in a very dangerous position indeed. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Spirit of the World. There is no doubt that this world is a violent place. We see it all over the world. And if you haven't seen it in your own life, perhaps you live a very surrounded life, a very protected life. Maybe you live in a cave someplace. Uh, Three-fifths of our world are in violence even right now today. Uh, We might think of a coup that's going on within the nation that's uh, slaughtering people as they go. We may think of a a particular sector group of people within uh, nations or communities that are trying to take over power or trying to forcefully persuade people into their thinking. We might even think of streets in some of the major cities, even in the United States. They're violent streets. There's violence everywhere. We, we understand that. And it should come as no surprise to anyone that the spirit of this world is very active, and the spirit of this world is anti-Christ. Oh, I know that there will be one who rises up as the anti-Christ, but the spirit of anti-Christ is already at work in the world today. And the violence and the wickedness that we see happening in the world today, just like we saw earlier this week up in Oregon, it's happening all of the time. And it's all around us, and it's happened since the time of the garden. It should not take us by surprise. Over the last several months, we've seen this spirit of antichrist, this spirit of the world at work all over the world. Thousands of lives being lost for religious sake, for political sake, 
for power, for money, for fame, or just flat out just wickedness, taking lives. The spirit of this world is always busy. But the spirit of this world should never be the motivating factor for the child of God. Should never be. The motivating factor for the child of God needs to be the spirit of God. Otherwise, we are simply reacting rather than being led by the Spirit of God. And you and I, as the children of God, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. Take your Bibles, turn to the ninth chapter. In that ninth chapter, there's been a lot of events that have already been taking place as we've looked already for quite a while at the ninth chapter. Remember, it was at the ninth chapter that he sent out the twelve, gave them power over demons and to heal those that were diseased. It was in the ninth chapter that we see the feeding of the 5,000. The 5,000 from simply five loaves of bread and two small fish. It was in the ninth chapter that we see Peter's great confession that uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was in the ninth chapter that we see that great time of what's called the transfiguration. Remember when Jesus with Peter, James, and John went to the mountaintop there and the, the Shekinah glory of God just uh, enveloped them all and, and, and literally the very appearance of Christ uh, changed before their very eyes. And there Moses and Elijah came and ministered to Jesus at that point and at that time. It's been a busy chapter already and we've still got 20 more verses to cover in chapter 9. Here in chapter 9 is also the turning point of Jesus' ministry. Up until this point in time, as we've gone through Luke, Jesus' ministry has been primarily focused up in the Galilean area. Well, here in chapter 9 is where he turns and begins moving down to Jerusalem for the last time. We are only uh, a few short weeks before the final uh, hours of Jesus' ministry at this point in time. As a matter of fact, in, in Luke chapter 9, and we'll look at it this morning, but down in verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. In other words, it was time for his ministry to be finished here on this level. Uh, It was time for him to be received up, but before he was received up, he had to be put down. He had to be, again, crucified and then buried, and then he would be received up. It was time for him to be received up, and he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. There was, there was an intenseness in, in the purpose in Jesus' ministry. And it was now time for him to go to Jerusalem. And he knew full well what was going to take place once he got to Jerusalem. Isaiah speaks of this prophetically. Isaiah in chapter 50 verse 7 says that for the, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore I, I will not be confounded. And I've set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. And this is, this is the attitude of Christ at this point in time. He's, he's set his face toward Jerusalem. He's not going to be persuaded by, by the masses. He's not going to be persuaded by the, any, any will or whim of man. No, he's going in the direction that the Father has laid out for him. And his ministry now is also shifting more uh, focus intimately with his disciples because it's, it's only going to be a few days now and he's no longer going to be able to pour into these men in this personal way that he is now. Yes, he's still dealing with the masses. He's still healing. He's still delivering. He's still doing the teachings to the masses. But we're going to see as we go through Luke that much more of his teachings are pointed toward those that are his disciples. 
And today we're going to look at really quickly three short uh, lessons that he wants to give to his disciples at this point in time. Lessons that take place just in the normal course of events. Lessons that point out the weaknesses really, of his disciples. And beloved, it it points out the weaknesses, I believe, for all of us as followers of Christ. The three areas we're going to look at is, in the disciples, there was a desire for position, there was a fear of competition, and that there was a lack of compassion in their lives. And we're going to see all three of those this morning. Again, only a number of weeks comes until he finally humbles himself, humbles himself being obedient unto death, even death of the cross. So here in chapter 9, back in verses 37 through 42, we read how, again, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they'd come down from that mountaintop experience, the transfiguration. They came down the mountain, and Jesus was met by the father of this young man who had a demonic spirit. And the, the other disciples, the remaining nine, had tried to cast out this demonic spirit. They weren't able to. And Jesus, with just a few words, rebuked that unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And then we pick it up in verse 43. Verse 43 says, And all were amazed at the majesty of God. Man, wouldn't we be? I mean, even as one of the disciples you would be, uh, particularly if you were one of the nine, you had tried to get rid of this demon and it wasn't happening. Now Jesus comes and just with a word, it's gone. And they're all amazed at the majesty of God. And while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, Jesus then turned to his disciples. He said, let these words sink down into your ears. (laughs) Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, listen to me. Listen. Pay attention. Let this sink into you. He said, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand his sayings. And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about his sayings. Everyone was amazed at what was going on, and I believe, again, the disciples were amazed. They were ready for him to go ahead and take over authority and leadership within Judaism at that point in time. They were were looking for a king. Don't deceive yourself. They were looking for a king, just like all the Jews. That's why they never did quite get the fact that Jesus was going to be crucified. It never did really click into them, even though time and time and time again, he continued to tell them. Here in the midst of all of their excitement, Jesus again speaks to them, hey, very soon I'm going to be betrayed. And for whatever reason, still, the disciples missed it. We could try to explain it while they were distracted by things, but the thing is, I believe the disciples had other plans in mind. They were totally separate from the plans and the purpose of God. You see, they had yet to fully surrender their plans. They had surrendered their lives to the Lord, but not their plans. And beloved, this is the beginning of a very dangerous position for the child of God. And way too many believers today, we surrender our life and our eternity to him, but not our plans. Not really and truly our life. So that when our life goes out of direction from what our plans are, we throw up our hands and we say, what are you doing, God? 
What's happening in my life? And we get all stressed and, and been out of shape because things aren't going what? According to our plan. But you see, if I'm fully surrendered to him, and I know that he is sovereign and powerful over all of his creation, and I'm going this way, and I believe this is the way I ought to be going, and this is what I think this is what God wants in my life, and suddenly I find myself, I'm turned over here, not because of sin, but because of situations that have suddenly come into my life, and my plans have suddenly been shifted. Do I then cry out in anger or frustration, or do I simply say, Lord, I'm yours, whatever direction this might take me. Some of you, along with us, your, your, your plans uh, for this year had gotten shifted and, and changed, and we just need to be understanding in that and say, Lord, we're yours, and our, our tomorrow is yours. We continue on. Because they had not surrendered their plans, there was a lot of side issues that we're going to continually be struggling with, and that is that desire for position that fear of any kind of competition within their lives, and that lack of compassion. You see, they, they, they wanted the Lord for salvation, but they had yet to fully surrender. Look at the first one of these, this desire for position. It comes right away, verse 46. It says that then a dispute arose among them as to which one of them would be the greatest. Again, you've got to see almost the humor in this. Guys, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be crucified. Yeah, but which one of us is going to be greater in your kingdom? It's kind of like, hello. It's not even registering at all. Jesus perceived the thought in their heart, and he took a little child, sat him by him, and said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you will be great. This is a battle the disciples fought all the way to the upper room. All the way to the upper room where they they were still arguing who's going to be the greatest. And what did Jesus do? He humbled himself and began washing their dirty feet. He took upon himself the, the position of the lowest servant of a household and began to wash their feet. They wanted an honored position in the kingdom. It wasn't that they wanted to serve. No. I mean, that would have been commendable to them, but that's not the case. They wanted a place of prominence, and they wanted a place of prominence above the other guy, okay? They, you know, I want a better position than Dan. I want a, I want a better position than Bob. And they got into this continued argument. And here, Luke, we simply read, a dispute arose among them as to which one of them would be the greatest. But we understand from Mark's version of the same event that this dispute had been going on for quite a while. Even as they walked from the city of Capernaum all along down into the area of Samaria where they were headed. They had been arguing, Mark says, along the road, disputing among themselves which would be greatest. And this was born out of sheer pride. Aren't you glad that Christians don't have pride today? (laughs) That we've gotten over this thing. But pride places ourselves above another. And we realize from the context of, of, uh, of, of what was written here and the context of Jesus' response that this argument definitely wasn't, you know, oh, Peter, I, I think really you ought to be the head guy because you've got so many talents. No, it wasn't an argument about who, which one of you ought to be better. No, it's about me being better, about me being exalted. No, uh, it's not about either, any of them lifting the others up. It's about each one trying to put themselves in this place. Here and all the way to the upper room, they had the same deal. It's not a heart of a servant. 
It's not a heart of humility. And it's definitely not the heart of Jesus. And it's not the spirit of Christ working in them. That's the spirit of the world working within the child of God. And that's a dangerous thing, a dangerous thing. Jesus took the opportunity to, to again, show them an, an object lesson, this small child. He was saying, in essence, that in his kingdom, the example of greatness is a little child. Helpless, dependent, without status, and living by faith. You're totally depending upon God to take care of things for you. Living life in faith that, Lord, my life is yours. I depend upon you for everything. That's the heart of a true servant of Christ. That's the spirit of Christ working in an individual's life. It's an important factor for you and I to continually remember. Don't lose sight of that object lesson that Jesus shows. The disciples pride and their desire for position showed a lack of love and a lack of concern for each other. They were more concerned about their own place and about their own position than they were about the place and the position of their brothers. And that lack of love was also demonstrated in their response to those that were outside this group of 12. Look at what the next situation is. Verse 49, this fear of competition. Now, John answered, you remember John, yeah, he was one of the two that, or three that had the mountaintop experience, okay? They had been with the Lord, yeah, man, they had had this, this great spiritual time, and now they're coming down, and now here's the attitude of John. Listen to what he says, verse 49. Now, John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade them because he does not follow us. And Jesus says, good job, John. No, that's not what he says. Jesus said to him, don't forbid him, for he who's not against us is on our side. Can you imagine having that kind of an attitude? Lord, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something powerful in your name. They're, they're setting people free from bondages over there, Lord. They're casting out demons in your name, and apparently they were successful, otherwise he wouldn't be saying anything about it. Lord, they're doing all this great work for you, and their church attendance is huge, and they're not even a Calvary chapel, Lord. So we, 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 we cut them off. Hey, it's funny, but it's true. How easy it is to put down another fellowship because they do things a little bit different than us, because their worship is a little bit different, their administration is a little bit different, but you know what? They're part of the body of Christ, and if they're doing a good work for the Lord, then we ought to be applauding them. We ought to be encouraging them. Sometimes we have that problem. I'm not talking about, you know, churches that spout off heresies and false doctrines. I'm talking about those that are simply just a little bit different. Because they're a little bit different, all too often we bring all kinds of accusations against them and we pull away from them as our brothers and sisters. But beloved, the time is too short. The need is too great and the darkness is too widespread. 
we, as part of the body of Christ, we need to come together with other believers and brothers and sisters within the kingdom of God, within our community, to make a difference to a dark and dying world. We are not called to be the only game in town. There are other churches in this community that are professing Christ as the only way of salvation, and we need to stand with them. We need to encourage them. We need to walk hand in hand with them because the world is lost and dying, and we're not making big enough headway ourselves, so we need to be encouraging one another. And Jesus was very clear when he spoke to his disciples. He says, he who is not against us is for us. He also spoke to the fact that they'll know you are my disciples by your love for one another within your own congregation. That's not really what he said. He says, by your love for one another as a brother and sister in Christ, regardless, I believe, of the congregation. Are we able to declare that? Are we able to live with brothers and sisters who are fighting the good fight and yet uh, may not be a part of our own church or our own denomination? One of the things that I really strive to do is people through the years have have left our church. I'm fully aware of that. Um, Some have left because of me. I don't understand that myself, but it happens, okay? (laughs) I like me, so it happens. But I try to leave the door open. I try to, again, because, well, number one, it's a pretty small town, okay? You see it. But at the same time, I know that they're my, they're my brother and sister. They may not like the style of the ministry. They may not like different things within the ministry. They, they've gone someplace else. But I still want to encourage them as my brother and sister, and you ought to be doing the same thing. We ought to be encouragers of brothers and sisters in Christ. And hopefully you know me well enough. I'm, I'm not talking about denying or laying aside the essentials of the faith. I'm saying in the essentials we need to have unity. We need to understand that. In the non-essentials, though, there needs to be liberty. But in all things, there needs to be love okay, for the body of Christ. Fear of competition leads to division. It could even be within the same church not willing to work with, not willing to serve under someone. Because if I serve under someone, they might think that I'm less than that individual. You know what? That's what Christ said we ought to be doing. We ought to be lifting up someone else. And if you're mature in the Lord, then you ought to look for someone that's, uh, again, not as mature and maybe not as well equipped and come under them and encourage them and lift them up. That's what we're supposed to be. Well, because of selfishness and pride, Too many times we don't want to do that. And beloved, those are ugly things to have in the life of the child of God, selfishness and pride. The next area, real quickly, we see a lack of compassion, a lack of compassion. Verse 51 says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the the Samaritans, the village there, they did not receive him because his face was set to journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, okay, this is the same John and his brother James, both of them had been up on the mountain, okay? James and John saw this. They came to the Lord and they said, Lord, Again, a great spiritual thing they say. Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just like Elijah did? 
They even brought in a, a biblical precedent and said, you know, this, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. But what did Jesus say? He, he turned and he rebuked them. And he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.